Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. I'm exhausted today. I don't know about you guys, but I am absolutely indictment fatigued. It is draining me. It is emotionally and spiritually exhausting to consider that our Department of Justice, the weaponized federal government that we have, continues to go after the former president. And we are now on round two of federal indictments. We have round one in the tank on the state indictments. And it sounds like Georgia is going to throw their hat into the ring for contender of lousiest states doing stupid legal action. So we're going to cover that, obviously. Everybody's talking about Trump being indicted. Uh, I have some takes on it. I spent about five hours last night sitting in a Twitter space listening to lawyers who are described as constitutional lawyers. Many of you will probably go, what is a constitutional lawyer? We'll talk about that for a second, too. People who actually practice constitutional law, who litigate based on the Constitution. It is a different sort of law than most people are used to, criminal and civil. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what their takeaways were, and I think they're, uh, I think they're worth discussing. I do have some special guests that are going to be just a reflection panel. We'll uh, see if we have any different takes on what we've been seeing. And uh, we're going to get into a couple other news stories that I think are indicative of where we're at. And President Trump is really just sort of like the canary in the coal mine in some ways. And we're starting to see it in public as well. Before we do that, I want to say thanks to our sponsors. Let me pull up here. This is Catholic Vote. Many of you are familiar with our friends over at The Loop. If you watched it yesterday, you went in and clicked it and joined The Loop, you would have gotten an email telling you that uh, you can watch Charlie Serafin, my father, my wonderful father, did a great interview with The uh, with the Loop gentleman. Uh, Tom did an interview with him, and my dad sent me a text after the show, said it was the best interview he's ever done. A man in Journalism for 60 years. That's pretty something. So let me just pull this up real quick. Oh, of course, I actually tried to pull up the loop and now it's gone. So let me just pull it up on my phone here because I did actually want to tell you guys. They had a couple of good things. Obviously, they covered the Trump indictment as well. And they uh, they had a whole series of useful emails that you guys would find. So what do they have? DeSantis confronting uh, Kamala Harris via letter. There's a Biden administration says they're going to defund hunting programs. Hunting programs? Really? That doesn't sound good. Uh, Biden cancels the space command that was going to be moving to Alabama. So some military movement, state Democrats delete tweets, threatening Trump supporters. Always nice to know that we have that. Anyway, that and more. Check out the loop. Go to CatholicVote.org. Sign up for the loop. And we'll say a quick thanks. Check this out. This is the chaos that I work in. Folks, this is the insanity of the Kyle Serafin show. And as usual, you can see right here, I do have my Patriot Cooler. You can get yours by going to patriotcoolers.com using promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, K-Y-L-E. We'll get you 10% off, 50 bucks or more. You're going to get free shipping. You can see in that photo right there on the uh, the uh, website that they actually have one of their hard-sided coolers. Looks a lot like a Yeti. It has that strap, those, uh, those really durable rubberized straps that can lock down and keep ice for days, five, six, seven, eight days, things like that. Might be something you want if you're thinking that we're going to be running out of power. We're going to be running out of... Um, we're going to be running out of refrigeration capabilities. It's a good survival tool to have a good cooler. Never know when you might need to keep meat or other things out of the heat or otherwise. So check them out. PatriotCoolers.com. Promo code Kyle. K-Y-L-E. The link is in the show description. You don't even have to type Kyle, by the way. You can just click right through it. All right. Without too much further ado, let's bring on these gentlemen. Um, let's see what we've got. Look at this. We've got a George Hill. Some people know George Hill. We've got a Garrett O'Boyle wearing a limited edition suspendables merch. 
that many people in the chat are going to ask when you are going to start shipping. So we have that problem. Gentlemen, welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show for this uh, weird Wednesday. We've got lots of Good. problems, Kyle. Lots of problems. Good you morning. got problems with that mic again. Oh, gosh. All right. Stand by. So, um, folks, we're going to start talking about some of these pieces here. Can we throw up uh, topic number one right there, Ryan? So the folks, we, we organize this thing by topics. That's the easiest way that uh, Ryan and I could do it. There it is right there. As they say, an indictment is only as impressive as uh, the thing that you're indicting. And you can indict a hand sandwich. That's the old statement. So there's the President Trump ham sandwich. Give me, uh, give me topic number two. There's the other sandwich we got. Garrett made these little memes out there. If you like those, they're in my Twitter feed, folks. You can go and share those things around. We are indicting the Trump ham sandwich, and uh, we brought up a um, – I've got the entire indictment downloaded. we got some screenshots of it that we'll go through. But, uh, George, have you read that indictment? I did. I did. Um, I'm in the middle of a 2,000-page tome, nonfiction work by Carol Swain. So I really enjoyed a, a deep dive into some fiction work last night. It was uh, very entertaining. That's a fair way of assessing it. Right. Um, if you'll bring up topic three, we'll see the way that CNN covered this thing. Uh, CNN, of course, breathlessly, pearl clutchingly holding it on, saying, uh, you know, this is going to it, it resonate in American history for years. Obviously, we keep ending up in more and more levels of um, the biggest news cycle in the last 10 years, 20 years. This is another indictment. This is pile on time. And uh, they said it sent a chilling effect at all those. Can you show the picture too? the next one up there? The, the rotunda picture topic four, I think, uh, was listed. This is the way that their their photograph of it is. I want you to look at this photograph and I'll have George reflect on it as well. Look in the foreground of this picture. So if you're not seeing this is a picture of the Capitol Rotunda on January 6th. Many of us have seen a lot of images from that day. What we're looking at is a couple of police and riot gear dealing with it looks like maybe one to two people who are aggressively reaching over while the cops are also reaching over. They're making some sort of chaotic face. And then behind them is like a sea of people that are just standing there. Uh, I'm guessing, George, you've been in some aggressive crowds in your life. You've been overseas. Uh, does this look like the scariest thing you've ever seen? Uh, if, if you. There it is. The deep state is playing with us today. <laughs> we can't make it up. <laughs> we lost George. He's in New Hampshire. God knows what happened to him. Look, folks, end of the day, you're looking at a, a bunch of people milling about inside the Capitol as tourists and one or two people deciding to scream at cops because they're being jerks. Uh, Garrett, did you see that yes. picture as well? I didn't. I was trying to fix my settings still. <laughs> Pull it back up. <laughs> this cannot be made up. No. End of the day, uh, that's what we're talking about here. Let's get into the indictment here, and hey, let's get back. in. There he is. He's back on us. But no, it, it, if you want it to look scary, it does look scary. If you want, just look at the foreground of it, it looks like a, a melee. And if you look at the background, uh, the back portion of it, it just looks like a peaceful gathering. Um, so I, I think it's a good um, pictorial description of the whole J6 narrative. It depends on what you want to look at. That's, that's uh, I think, a good way of talking about it. We always talked about this thing being sort of the American Rorschach test, and whatever you see is what you're going to tell me about the way you look at politics. I see both. I can see them both at one time. You know, I can see the the dwarves that are high-fiving and the ducks kissing or whatever it is that people do when they take those Rorschach. If you don't know what a Rorschach test is, it's like an ink blot test. They put a you know blob of ink in, they fold it in half, and it's supposed to show you something, and whatever you say reveals something about you, not necessarily about the picture. And I think that's what we're seeing right here. So... The indictment itself is kind of interesting. Uh, first of all, we've got uh, the fact that they have uh, six unindicted co-conspirators. If you want to pull up topic five on there, Ryan, we'll get into that real quickly. 
and we'll see what we're trying to talk about here. So I'm just going to read right off the screen if you guys don't mind. If you're, What you're missing here is a piece that comes from CNN. This is chopped right out of their story. It says six unindicted co-conspirators were also included in the filing. I think this is the breathless pearl clutching. Uh, four of those six are unnamed attorneys who allegedly aided Trump in his efforts to subvert the 2020 election. Now, these are allegations. These are allegations being made in an indictment of which there is only one side that needs to be presented, and that is being done by a very political uh, special prosecutor. And yet, you know, CNN, once again, acting like this is a thing. We always tell you to focus on the language and focus on the narrative. Uh, they, they, the piece that they're focusing on there are the knowingly false claims that Trump uh, said that the, the election was subverted, right? So unindicted co-conspirators, we're going to talk about why it's important that there are four attorneys. Do you guys have a sense of that? Do you have do either of you have a sense? Because I'm going to give you a weigh in after you do. Uh, I don't know. My my sense is only that we are so litigious as a society that the more attorneys you get, the better, or at least that's the perception. And I imagine there are just different types. He's probably got a constitutional law attorney, like you mentioned earlier, and uh, <clears throat> then probably a criminal defense attorney and probably some civil litigators and all their staff. So, I mean, that's just my... I guess off the cuff theory as to why, but I guess I don't really know. Have you, have you ever had to deal with attorneys that can cite attorney client privilege when you want information from them? Uh, yeah, I have. Recent, theoretically. I mean, yeah. In our society, that's a sacrosanct sort of, uh, preservation. It's a, it's a curtain that drops between the attorneys that are, uh, working on behalf of a client and the government, which is trying to pursue their case. Right. Yeah, exactly. Are you guys familiar with the crime fraud exception in the attorney client privilege? Uh, loosely, yeah, because if the if the attorney is in on the gig, then that attorney client privilege evaporates and the attorney can be. I see where we're going. I, I, yeah. So when you take four people that are, are working for the president that are attorneys and theoretically would be able to a claim that they have this exception to speaking to the law enforcement, they don't have to give any information that they have the attorney client privilege. Here's the, uh, the definition as far as crime fraud exception goes. The attorney client privilege does not cover statements made to a client or made by a client rather to their attorney if the statements are meant to further or conceal a crime and for this exception to apply the client must have been in the process of committing a crime or planning to commit a crime. Does that change the way that we look at these, these four attorneys, you think? Yes. Uh, for me, it does. 100%. What do you think, George? No, hundred um, percent. I just, if I may, Kyle, I, I have a Please. slightly different take on all this because I'm not a constitutional attorney, but I am a college professor and I've read a lot of college papers yep. and this really smacks of a big mouth production owned by Jack Smith's wife. Um, it reads almost like, look, Katie, you um, you write the narrative part and I'll fill in all the U.S. code stuff uh, that people would recognize. I mean, this this just looks like an amalgamation put together, not by a team of attorneys, but by Jack Smith and his wife. It's very, very heavy on the narrative. I'm going to splash up there, Ryan. If you'll throw up uh, topic six, so we can actually see the uh, the cover page of the indictment. And uh, what we're looking at here, folks, if you are not watching on the Rumble channel, is the indictment. It says the United States of America versus Donald J. Trump, defendant. And it lists uh, grand jury stuff here. Let me switch cameras real quick for you all. So 
What it says here is that we have count one is 18 U.S.C. 371. That is a conspiracy to defraud the United States. Count two, 18 U.S.C. uh, 1512K. That's conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. This is that Sarbanes-Oxley rule they keep using. There's another version of that. It's going to be subsection CE. I'm sorry, C2 which is obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And the last one is really a a ridiculous piece. And this one's kind of the the biggest piece of exciting fiction. 18 U.S.C. 241, conspiracy against rights. We're going to read kind of like the short version of all these counts in just a second, because I do want you to walk out in the world informed with what it is they've accused the former president of and why it is sort of ridiculous on its face. Uh, Ryan, do you actually have the video, the announcement from Jack Smith? So we can kind of play that and we can look at the uh, the I smile do. playing on. Yeah, let's look at the smile playing on the corners of this man's mouth. This is the special prosecutor announcing this indictment yesterday afternoon at a podium in Washington, D.C. If you'll roll that clip. Good evening. Today, an indictment was unsealed charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. Now he's going to go off script. Here comes editorial. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Since the attack on our Capitol, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who are working on this investigation with my office, as well as the many career prosecutors and law enforcement agents from around the country who have worked on previous January 6th investigations. These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. So that was charming. Uh, did you guys notice that caveat at the end, that sort of classic FBI caveat? We don't in, uh, we're going to investigate people for their First Amendment protected activities, but we never investigate people for First Amendment protected activities. Remember, these are allegations, but the defendant lied and he's a bad, bad man and he tried to attack democracy. Um, your take. 
I've never seen a U.S. attorney conduct themselves in a press briefing like Jack Smith did. Um, most U.S. attorneys, when they step, well, not most, 99% of them, when they step in front of a microphone, um, their briefings are as dry as the Saharan desert. I mean, you, you know, you can't get the grit out of your eyes for weeks. I mean, that was more like a big mouth production. Yeah, it's a show. Uh, and, and as was mentioned earlier on Ryan's uh, stream this morning, it's kind of like, uh, the old adage that, uh, politics is show business for ugly people. Uh, Jack Smith fits that category and there he is up there doing his best showbiz routine, letting us know exactly how he feels. You want to so go again, Jer? Yeah, for your audience, Big Mouth Productions is owned by Jack Smith's wife. Um, so they've made, uh, she did the 2020 uh, puff piece on Michelle Obama that aired on Netflix. Um, so th th this is just another chapter in the whole January 6th saga. This reads no differently than the preface and the opening chapter that the FBI started to put out on January 7th. This is just a continuation of the same theme. This 45-page indictment looks like it was written by the uh, the op-ed folks at the New York Times or the Washington Post. It's it's certainly full of a lot of that. And kind of interestingly, um, Steve Baker, who we had on, referred to January 6th as the greatest political messaging victory of all time, at least in American history. And, and they're continuing that vein is what it feels like. Uh, Garrett, did you have something you wanted to weigh in on that? No, we lost Garrett. <laughs> We're losing Garrett left and right. There he is. Hey, buddy. Hey, I don't know. I don't know how long this is going to last. That's fair. Um, but did you, <laughs> were you asking to weigh in on the, the Jack Smith's? Um, Please, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's almost like, where do you start? You know, like, it's crazy to, uh, you know, I'm only 37. So in my short life, it, it's crazy to have seen our country uh, flip like this where it literally is like watching any banana republic you want to name and watching one of their attorneys or generals or whoever politicians up there talking about their political opponent and that's the exact vibe that was presented by him and it, i think with these litanies of indictments that just continues to be the case and i'm hoping it will backfire because I'm hoping people will start to realize and wake up and see, and I, I know many have in the last couple of years, but if people are watching these type of things outside of the district, because they're so insulated there where they know that like 97% of the populace in that area are Democrats. So they think that that's the, the rest of the country, but it's not. So hopefully that hubris, uh, his, his smirking and smiling, it reminded me <clears throat> of um, Mayorkas last week. Uh, when he was testifying and uh, Victoria Sparks from Indiana, she called him out on, on the smile. And it's like these people, I, I don't think they're often even aware of um, the hubris that they're, they're displaying for everybody to see. So that, that's what's, what's shown through the most for me was just that hubris and where he thinks like um, that it's, it's all a done deal and they have rigged the game, no doubt about it, but I think people are starting to wake up. So I think that hubris, you know, the, the the fall from the top is is the worst type. So, I think Jack Smith and all his allies in the DNC and in the swamp, um, hopefully, you know, they'll have another comeuppance, uh, either come the next election or at some point when the when the rest of America starts waking up. But yeah, that hubris is really just what's showing through for me the most. 
It, it's so interesting that you mentioned the the sort of the echo chamber that exists inside the Beltway when you work inside D.C. And, and you can imagine him going and giving that that uh, trial speech at a Starbucks in Washington, D.C. and getting a standing ovation. Right. You can mm -hmm. actually yeah. imagine that everybody around him. And so when you live in a world where everyone around you 100 percent believes, backs and supports the positions that you hold, no matter how radical they are. You're living in a strange fantasy world because, as you mentioned, if you go and do that thing in Kansas City, you go do that thing out in Wichita, Kansas, you go do that in Nebraska, you go do that in Idaho, you go do that in Montana or anywhere else, you go do it in Texas, America, in most places, you're going to either get a mixed reaction or a negative reaction because not everybody thinks the same way. And when you pile on these sort of indictments that continue to go on, it, it is that banana republic feel. It's like, man, how badly are you scared of this person? And I do think you're correct that more people are looking at it. People that were otherwise uninterested, that were sitting on the sidelines are going, you know what? I don't necessarily love President Trump. He's not the guy that I'm going to try to go in and take a bullet for. But anybody can see when there's a job, a put up job that's being done. And we are so desperate to tell you how bad he is. Man, maybe he's got something good going on. And so uh, in light of this indictment, we're going to cover it even a little bit further in a second here. But one of the things I want you to guys to consider, we had a raid on Miralago after a disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. And it felt like a cover that they had to turn the lens onto something else. We saw the Alvin Bragg thing come up and the indictment happened just after we had the revelations of the FBI's 10, uh, 1023 document about this corruption scheme. The fact that there were FBI sources that were reporting on the Biden's corruption. And now we have this and it comes in the wake of the Devin Archer testimony. Now, I read the highlights of the Devin Archer testimony, as I'm sure you guys did, and I was underwhelmed by it. It didn't say anything that was particularly new or interesting. But when you get this following that by one day, in some ways, I would say they actually threw a spotlight on the day prior to those of us who are paying attention. Do you guys feel that there might have been more to that Devin Archer testimony based on the radical reaction of indicting Trump for a second time on a federal level? Either one. Um, I don't think that, um, I think you might be giving them a little bit too much credit. Um, <laughs> I, I think they just continue to roll on. And when I say that you're giving them too much credit, I, I'd like to support that with, if this actually does go to trial and it's very unlikely that that judge will throw it out. If this does go to trial, um, then we get to go into discovery and then Donald Trump will have the opportunity, uh, actually the legal right to introduce all the bases, plural, um, for his claims about, you know, electioneering, election rigging, and that the election was stolen. So I, I'm just mystified as to why the Democrats would want to throw that door open for discovery. I, I, I don't I don't get it. And so, yeah, the premise there is, is if they're going to claim that all the things that he said were lies. And in fact, if you when we read the indictment a little further, let's go ahead and pull up um, count number one, if you would. That's topic number seven, Ryan. If you pull up uh, count number one, we'll kind of read what that says uh, in its full. And I'm going to switch over here again. So let me take a look here and read it with you. It says the allegations contained in paragraph one through four of this indictment. Um, Realedge and fully incorporate by the reference the conspiracy that from on or about November 14th of 2020 through January 20th of 2021 in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant, who's Donald A. Trump, did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate and agree with co-conspirators, both known and unknown to the grand jury, to defraud the United States using, here we go, here's the actual claims, dishonesty, fraud and deceit to impair, obstruct and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government. So that's the real thing. And then they claim that the purpose of the conspiracy, this is another sub little paragraph, this paragraph seven, 
The purpose of the conspiracy was to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election. Here's where they, they get to the knowingly part. Using knowingly false claims of election fraud to obstruct the federal government function by which those results are collected, counted, and certified. So there is a mens rea, which we'll talk about just uh, like briefly, but essentially you have to know that what you are doing is both wrong and a crime. They use the word knowingly very specifically. And as George was just stating, I think, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this and you tell me if I, I'm saying it correctly. He ha He's going to get a chance to say, I didn't know that those were false claims. In fact, I believe they were real. And here's the evidence that I was looking at that told me that these were legitimate problems with the election. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't get it. I, I, I just, the Democrats, I'm, I'm not a fan, but they're not stupid. Um, right. So I'm trying to figure out well, what's the next move on the chessboard here. I don't I don't know either. I mean, all of this stuff seems absurd because uh, this was discussed in the, in the the space last night over a five hour period. It opens up the door for litigation of these things that were all thrown out in courts because the, the lawsuits were not properly filed. But the evidence was pretty interesting and they certainly are credible enough for people to look at them. And many of you saw it with your own eyes. You saw, you know, either ballots being pulled out from underneath like videos that need explanation and that a reasonable person. And I think Trump would be an example of a non-litigious person. He's not a lawyer. He's not an investigator. He's a businessman. And he's looking at things that look really weird. And we all saw them and we thought they looked pretty weird at the time. I mean, I, there were a lot of FBI agents that were asking these same questions. Gary, did you have people asking those questions in your office at that time? Yeah, we. I mean, it, it was almost daily, I would say. The majority of our squad, because, you know, we you walk in the office and the news is rolling and at, you know, at that time, it was all election, election interference. Donald Trump is denying, you know, that that uh, the election results and and even simple stuff like, you know, people in the office saying like, man, did Joe Biden actually get 81 million votes? I mean, more than anybody ever <laughs> in more history. Than Barack Obama. Like, right. Yeah. And and I think anyone who man, you didn't even have to be paying that much attention but just just on the fringe, you could have been paying attention in seeing Joe Biden's, you know, I'll use my finger quotes, his campaign, right. um, you know, where he's hiding in his basement. Like, I think a lot of people who have a reasonable brain, I mean, think about it. You walk into an FBI building, your squad is filled with FBI agents and task force officers. Those are reasonable people. And Their skeptics. whole job is it, exactly, exactly. That's their entire career is to be skeptical to ask questions and to raise legitimate concerns. I mean, in my experience, by and large, law enforcement officers and those involved in that work were some of the most reasonable people I've ever known. And yep. so when they are unprompted saying, man, did he really get 81 million votes? A lot of this seems really fishy. You know, he's bringing up some some valid points, some valid concerns. I, that's not just, you know, um, the QAnon shaman or, or some of these other people who may appear to be more fringe or whatever. Um, like, yes, on both sides, you're going to have those. But then also it's like, let's go back through history. Al Gore was denying the election results. Um, Hillary Clinton was denying the election results in 2016. Like, right. It, there, there's a whole history of this. Well, more, moreover, and I think you touched on it. First of all, we're talking about skeptics. So that's something that we see a lot of times in the uh, in the investigative sphere, in the law enforcement and intelligence community. That's that's how people operate. It's like, tell me something. I want to try to disprove it. Very scientific method type of uh, thing. But you mentioned these cases last night in this this space. And the, the gentleman who was speaking was a guy named uh, Leo D'Onofrio, who seemed incredibly well versed in these particular cases. And the cases that he was mentioning, you mentioned um, uh, Bush v. Gore. 
which was obviously one of the things he mentioned a couple of different Supreme Court cases that I'm going to mention to you right now that may be in play with this particular indictment. The first one goes back to 1892. It's McPherson versus Blacker, and it was a decision coming about uh, laws passed in Michigan. These all have to do with the powers of the state legislature in order to determine who the uh, proper electors are. You'll remember this was a big deal in 2020, whether or not they were these false slates of electors or what they would call faithless electors. So the false slates is that when there are two two slates of electors that are being put forward by the state and the state hasn't properly certified which one it is. So that was a big issue. The second one is faithless electors, which is to say that people would go forward. They would be told by the legislature of their state that they had to vote for Bush, Gore, uh, Clinton, you know, et cetera, uh, Trump. And when they went out there, they actually voted against that. They, quote unquote, voted their conscience or something or they voted for a third party. And they were not holding in faith. They were faithless to their task. And so that's another sort of uh, level of this stuff that was being adjudicated. Um, and if, by the way, Ryan's telling me we got almost 800 people sitting in that live chat right now. So if you are there and you're not hitting the like button, go ahead and scroll on down and hit that thumbs up if you're sticking with us. We do appreciate that every time you do it. The last case here we talked about Bush v. Gore um, is one that's called uh, Buffalo versus Washington. And this was actually adjudicated and decided in 2020, another Supreme Court state case uh, about the faithless electors. And I'm just going to read a little snippet of it from you. The court ruled unanimously by a verdict of uh, eight to zero. There was one abstaining, obviously, that the states have the ability to enforce the electors pledge in presidential electors. In other words, to be a faithless elector, to show up and not vote as you are instructed by the state legislature is actually a problem and they can be fined and they hold personal liability for doing such a thing. They are required and bound to do the duty that the state legislature puts out there. That's part number one. The part number two that I think is really relevant, and I think this is actually going to go to the heart of the matter. And gentlemen, you guys remember the hanging chads controversy and the Bush v. Gore piece. And the thing that was so wild that was decided there is essentially they went and they had a decision about Article 2. And the Article Two powers that sort of existed saying that the state legislature uh, has the power to select in the manner that they choose the uh, and appointing the electors is a plenary power. OK, the plenary power says that if they choose to do so, they can select the electors and they can send them forward. They don't actually have to ask the, the voting base. They can, they can change the laws, which are state laws, and they have the exclusive authority to do so. Then they can send electors the way they want off to Washington to vote in the Electoral College. Now, a layman's version of this, and I want you guys to kind of digest this piece. The argument being made last night was that since the, uh, the United States has a majority of states holding Republicans in state legislature, they could literally vote and say that for this election cycle coming up, the one in 2024, uh, all the states are now going to be not using the popular vote of the uh, of the state and not going to go to the people. They are simply going to vote right now that they are going to send on a, a Republican slate of electors for whoever the Republican nominee is in the primary. And that would be 100% constitutional and legal based on what is said right now. It's a power that could be exercised. And that was the argument being made by D'Onofrio. I found it pretty fascinating. It would probably cause an incredible uproar if we actually didn't care about what was going on in the general election. It would be a seizure of power. In many ways, this would be considered like a legal coup. Um, and yet, every single four years, we do have a coup in this country. We just vote for it. That's just the way that it works. Uh, interestingly enough, this this power seems to hold based on the Supreme Court cases that he's citing. And if the, and the reason why we can say that is this. 
That happened for the first hundred years of this nation. And it still is the way that it could work, is the way that senators were also set out there. There's been a constitutional amendment saying that the senators are now elected by the people of the state, but that didn't used to be the case. In fact, for the first hundred years or so, we were actually voting for your state representatives and the state representatives were out there putting people into office with or without the permission of the uh, of the, the voting bodies at all. It didn't matter what the other people in the state voted because once you have the state legislature, you hold that power. Um, what do you think about that kind of idea? How would people receive that? I don't think they'd receive it real well. It, it reminds <laughs> me of my early days as a cop uh, in Waukesha. So we used to talk about um, desirability and justification. Yep. And you got to balance that. Is it desirable? Is it justified? So it sounds like it's legal to do inside the confines of our Article 2 in the Constitution. But how desirable is something like that? Probably not very. I think we might see... Uh, you know, it, it, I, I'm seeing images of the summer of 2020 in my head again, and uh, we, you, you would see that I, I think on either side if, if, uh, if something like that was to go down again. But it is an interesting point to bring up uh, the first hundred years too, where uh, our quote unquote elected officials were basically just doing whatever they wanted with disregard for what the people wanted. So, well, it's it, important you say to. That, pay- but- it's it's representative it's representative um it's a republic system we are not a democracy right what we do is we uh, direct elect things like the state legislature and those legislators have the ability to vote on our behalf they are then the representatives from that state and the idea was is that as far when you get further and further away from power especially the way it was originally designed the further away from power or from the people you got the more you had a representative uh representing you because of the distance and because of the, the technical logistics that happened at that time. And that's one of the arguments against the uh, the Electoral College is that it was a it was a logistical concern at that point that everybody could not cast a ballot and have them easily counted for presidency in, uh, you know, 1789. That wasn't a real easy thing for anyone to go do. And yet today we could do it digitally and it'd be done, you know, in 90 or 100 days or whatever it is that it takes now to count these things with machines, even though it used to get done yeah, overnight yeah. when I was a kid right. with, yeah. with a similar well, population. Yeah, Go with ahead, the machine, it should it should literally be like, you know, Instantaneous. as soon as the ballot is cast. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> but no, George, give you, us 90 days. <laughs> you had a way in there. Yeah, so obviously I'm not a lawyer, um, but I have been focusing on the narrative. I've written about it in Uncover DC. Um, the narrative that has been being laid down since Woodrow Wilson is that we live in a democracy. Lyndon Johnson did away with civics classes. So most of the country thinks that we live in a democracy. So should states decide to do what, what you uh, raised, Kyle? Yep. Um, people are going to be uh, vi- you know, riotous um, because they think that somehow that we live in a country that doesn't exist. Um, and there's no excuse for being ignorant, but that is the line that's been laid down for over a hundred years that we live in a, a, a democracy, a, di- a direct democracy, right. um, and that somehow the Republicans, you know, Donald Trump's tried, but now the Republicans have finally done it and they've stolen away our democracy. This is the, the phraseology that's being put out there time after time again, attack on our democracy, attack on our democracy. And most people believe it. They believe that we live in a democracy. 
All right. Now, I've given you that that crazy instance that the uh, the state legislatures basically usurp the popular vote and decide to do the thing that they believe that they were elected to do. That's a possibility that apparently has constitutional basis. I'm not bringing it up because I'm advocating for that position necessarily, although that actually was being advocated last night on Twitter. What I am bringing it up for is the following reason. Because that is a constitutional authority that exists within the legislatures and they have the ability to do so. Donald Trump going to any legislature or any member of state delegations and saying, go find me votes, go do what I need you to do, is a political exercise and not a criminal exercise under any circumstances. It's a political thing that is allowed to be done, even if distasteful in America. And therefore, no matter what, even if they were to accept, this was the argument being made last night, if every single charge made in the indictment, they say, we accept that all these things are in fact factually true, that he was either lying, that he was knowingly and willingly saying something, but he still wanted to stay in power and he was asking state legislatures to exercise the, the power that they have, that plenary authority to appoint legislatures and to appoint uh, electors rather, then there cannot be a crime because what he did fell within the Constitution. And the actual quote that I took out of there was this. There is no crime if you tell members of your political party to exercise their political authority. If that is the case, this was the motion to throw out the entirety of the indictment that was being suggested by D'Onofrio last night. And it struck a real chord with me because what... Oftentimes, I feel like we're doing this thing where we're trying to debate the merits of an indictment. Oh, is there a possibility of this? Does this make sense? This is the classic game. I'm going to go ahead and have Ryan bring up topic number 15, if you would, my friend. I'm going to read you guys a couple of things. Some of you are familiar with Saul Alinsky, and we talk about it. If you listen to Dan Bongino, you've heard about it. This is one of those playbooks. Go ahead and pop that up on the screen, if you could, my friend. Number 15 is the rules for radicals, and there are 10 of them. And I'm going to read you just a select few, if you do not mind, uh, gentlemen, I'll have you guys reflect on these. Number one, power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have. And that is the, the reason why you would have this sort of um, false set of, of uh, allegations, why you would go after and put something up that is uh, spurious and doesn't have any constitutional basis to argue against because the enemy thinks that you have the ability. So they're arguing against the indictment. They should be trying to destroy the entirety of the fact that it exists in the first place. Rule number four, you guys can scroll down through these on your own. Um, make the enemy live up to its own playbook. People on the political right find themselves more often than not on the side of law and order. They believe that there are rules and that people should play by them. And so by making them live up to it, they are facing the indictment on its merits, assuming that people operate in good faith when that is, in fact, not the case. That is not the way that people are necessarily operating when they are putting these indictments forward. I think that's worth noting. Number eight, keep the pressure on. I think we can definitely say that that's what's going on today because this is indictment number three of four most likely dropping on President Trump as he is doing this. And the last one, number 10, which I think is also there. The major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain constant pressure on the opposition. There is constant pressure being put on Donald Trump and his uh, campaign right now to deal with indictments and they cannot focus on the things like putting out great policy or whatever other things they're trying to do in order to speak to the American people. Gentlemen, in light of those four rules and the, and, and the idea that there may not even be a crime in going to your, your constituents or your political party members in other states and asking them to do something, what do you think about this indictment knowing those things? I mean, you know, uh, Saul Alinsky's rule, Rules for Radicals has been uh, big for me because it literally is their playbook and has been for decades. You know, I, I picture a guy like Jack Smith either having a, 
himself he audio recorded himself reading those and he listens to them on the way to the office every day um <laughs> because <laughs> because uh it, it it is their playbook he he's uh Saul Alinsky is essentially a god uh, on the left and but that being said those rule those rules exist for a reason <laughs> and they're good rules if they're going to follow those rules which they are they're they're being smart and they're they're playing the game correctly because like you mentioned on the right conservatives typically want to follow the rules well on the left they're changing the rules they're doing sleight of hand and you know for instance an indictment another indictment on on uh, Donald Trump okay most people think the word indictment means like oh that guy's guilty he's going to prison but oftentimes indictments just get canned because they're not good there's not merits there but they're keeping the pressure up again back to the to the playbook and um that that last one that you mentioned it it was uh it was um it was really standing out to me because it it, it really brings it all home because it's like okay yeah these guys have had this playbook i think that book uh rules for radicals was written in like the 70s and they've been instituting those rules ever since and we're seeing it in real time right now uh against donald trump probably like we've never seen ever before george yeah so as far as you know rebuffing the indictment line by line um you know you roll around in the mud with a pig you get dirty i have spent no time you know i, I was in that twitter space with you for a while it's like who cares that's not what this fight's about this fight is about the 10th rule which you said which is being unrelenting and then it goes back to cloward and piven which people are just going to say just make it stop if you got to take orange man out fine just please god make it stop and, and that's where they're going. This is a psychological operation. Um, you know, rolling around in, in the mud, like I said, it's just going to get you dirty. Let's Waste talk cloud. Yeah, let's talk cloud and Piven. Um, so the cloud Piven strategy is something that's been out there since 1966 to um, Ivy League type professors that basically released a strategy saying, and I'm going to say here, the ultimate objective of the strategy is to wipe out poverty by establishing a guaranteed annual income. That's what they're trying to do. Uh, they do so by essentially crushing the local system under the weight of its inadequacies, they're going to crush local infrastructure in an effort to make things federalized. And so, as you said, please make it stop. We're willing to accept anything, even though the thing should be handled locally. We can't handle it. It's too big. We're going to go to a bigger authority. And the broader spectrum of that is if you make people uncomfortable and squirm long enough, they will cry uncle and they will relent and allow the thing that they would otherwise never agree to. That's sort of that's sort of the uh, the piece, the Cloward Piven strategy sort of extrapolated out to this idea. Correct. 100% correct. Okay. I'm, I'm like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I did want to paraphrase that for people that have not seen it because essentially it's an economic strategy to try to bring in the federal government at a local level. And yet this can be applied using that sort of overwhelm the system that flood the flood, the, uh, the lane situation to where people don't know how to deal with it. And so they just give up. Sure. And, and Donald yeah. Trump is a, is a major obstacle in the way of that. Um, they're criminalizing political speech and what are we seeing in states like Michigan, where they're passing laws to, if you misgender someone, um, that you can actually be charged under state code. So this is all about policing speech. This is all, and, and people will just get to the point of, please, just make it stop. And they're willing to accept anything. If, if you can't talk, um, there's not much left.
That's it. And that's why it is the first thing. You're supposed to start with your speech. The second up is obviously a last resort sort of situation. It may be your right to have it at all times, but uh, the goal is not to use it. I want to queue up this video, get your guys' impression. Garrett, I know this was a video that was near and dear to your heart. Uh, video number one, if you want to queue that thing up, Ryan. Uh, what we're looking at here is the way that it was only a couple of years ago and then the way that it was uh, in the last week. And Donald Trump sort of is a canary in the coal mine for some of these things. He is the, uh, the indication of the way that things are going to go for regular people as well. Like you look at a guy with wealth and power, he's a billionaire, he lives in a big mansion, he's got people and a staff and all the lawyers. What about the people that don't have those sort of resources, don't have that sort of capability, that don't have a microphone they can stand up and get CNN and everybody else to go and, you know, listen and carry their feed? So if we can queue up this video, number one, this is a street preacher in Tempe, Arizona. You're going to get some of it. We'll, we'll cut up some of this video and move it forward a little ways. Uh, Ryan, I think we're starting about a minute and a half into there. There's some some timestamps on there, if you would. Let's go ahead and roll that thing right now when you're ready. Well, I understand you can legally amplify. Yeah. Talking about disturbing somebody's peace. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's been I deal with. Yeah, that's been ruled on. That's, no, don't don't give me the law. Just if I could get your name, it'd be great. I love okay, that. I'm just like, asking why you need my name. I told you why. So are you are you arresting me or charging me with a crime? Not at this point. I like no. ID so then that. the state law of Arizona says that you can't ask for my ID unless I'm being charged with a crime. Well, I mean, I am in the process of investigating a crime. Okay. What? You just but ignored the. You get arrested. I, you know, I have to be able to do an investigation. Sure, but the law says. I don't just grab people and arrest them. No, I appreciate that, officer. But you're a law enforcement official, and I'm showing you the law. The law says that in order for you to say I'm disturbing the peace, it has to be more than a vague generality of your own opinion. You have to have a. You have to have a calibrated meter that demonstrates I'm over 65 decibels. Do you have a calibrated meter? Do I have to have a calibrated meter? You do. It's the city code. That's what it says. Okay, so Let's you want right to tell me who you are or you don't want to? No, officer, I respect your position. I'm a pastor. I respect... So he, he's showing him the law, and if you look, if you're watching on the video, what you're seeing is the cop is making eye contact with the man and not the not the piece of paper he's holding. This is obviously a non-threatening situation. It's non-violent. These are people that are openly protesting abortion on the streets, and they are doing so within the law. They actually looked up the code. They printed out the statutes, and they're saying that we're allowed to use amplified megaphones and so on as long as it's under 65 decibels, and the only way that you could calibrate that it's over 65 decibels is with a calibrated meter which is a totally reasonable position to have and then he doesn't want to give the cop his name he later on does say i'm pastor jeff and the guy's like what's your last name and he's trying they fight over that a little bit um garrett you saw that you brought that to my attention i know i've seen it before i've seen clips of that but not the entire thing like i did last night what is that showing to you as someone who's been a local street cop to me it's showing proper civil disobedience because one that cop he didn't even know that he needed to have a calibrated meter. He said, do I need to have a calibrated meter? Right. Because he, he didn't know the law. And you know what? Honestly, that's fine. Because as a cop, you have state statutes. And in Wisconsin, the, the state statute book is like, uh, probably like that thick. And then you Two have a Unicode book. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it, it's impossible for you to know every single one inside and out. Um, but also when he gets sent on that call, he could have pulled up the Muni code book or pulled it out of his duty bag or pulled it up on the website on his computer and checked, but he didn't know the law. I would say a, uh, like a, a patrol cop probably knows those violation laws. That's probably something they deal with pretty regularly. Yeah, it right? is. And I would say in my experience, amplified sound device, man, it was pretty rare. And I don't even know what the code was as far as measuring it. I, I don't know if we had one in our city, but um, it, it was it boiled down to like a reasonableness standard. And in this instance, 
you know, the cops get called, so they show up. That's what they have to do. But then when you show up as the officer, the one who's supposed to enforce the law or decide to not enforce the law because no law is being broken, then you need to make that play or that decision, you know, right there. And instead of doing that, he gets sent to the call and says, okay, whoever called the police is right. And we see that very often in law enforcement. It, it shouldn't be that way. Um, and in this case, uh, you know, Jeff Durbin, the pastor, he, he was prepared for it and, you know, good on him for being prepared, but then bad on the officer for not even wanting to look at the law. And then it, I don't know if you're going to play it, but it gets worse with the supervisor. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have Ryan play that. Ryan, can you go to uh timestamp three thirty two, and we'll just play that for a couple seconds. And then we'll go to the, the five thirty eight stamp where we actually see the female officer inter intervene. Oh uh, yeah. So give me three, a second. I have it set up for uh two 30. Give me one second. Three, three thirty two. 332 yes if you'll bring it up on that and then we'll we'll listen to this so this is just a little bit further in this conversation so this conversation is very peaceful there's people just milling about and you can't see it they're on a street corner you can probably hear the road noise in the back just let me know when you're ready to bring that thing up you can cut ready me off rock. with it all right rock cool. the problem is and i know you're a law enforcement officer you took an oath to the constitution we have freedom of speech rights and yeah. somebody saying you're disturbing my peace because i don't like your message or i can hear it isn't a valid reason to undo the Constitution of the United States that says I have freedom of speech. The U.S. Supreme Court has ruled on this. Somebody can't say I'm disrupting the peace because they don't like my message, because I'm amplifying, amplifying my voice. The law, which you and I both are committed to, states that I'm in a lawful activity right now. You. No, I know, and I appreciate your position. I have no disrespect for you, but uh, but when it comes okay, to so law pause it there, and law and enforcement, whenever you're ready. So um, he shrugs. He just goes like, "Yeah, you just told me I have an oath to the Constitution, George. Uh, you're a regular guy. Your oath to the Constitution has uh, existed for decades at this point now, but you were not law enforcement. I mean, could you be more polite with this guy? You're looking from the outside. Does that seem like a thing that you'd be upset about hearing? He the the pastor is exemplary um if you if you need an example of a behavior to follow um bring up that video and, and follow his example do you think he's as calm as a marine would be oh god no no i i i i'm not capable of that level of self-discipline all right so it, it gets worse in this video and, and folks we can put the link if you really want to see it but if you go to that 538 timestamp ryan when you tell me you're ready we'll roll that and this is where it gets really ugly i think this is where we are getting towards and then we'll show the second video from this week now again this is a couple years old that we're seeing right now so this goes back a couple years in tempe arizona ready to roll that one yeah let's do it Lawrence, uh, sergeant liz lenzen tempe pd hello um hey who's been using the megaphone uh i have yeah and what's your name jeff Jeff Hill. Yeah, Jeff. It's Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff. Yes. I'm so supposed to know. Where are you pastor at? Uh, Apologia Church in Tempe. Okay. And what's your last name, Jeff? Uh, do you need that for anything? Yes, we do because we, we have a complaint that we're working. That's why we're here. Okay. Well, Otherwise, we would not be here. No, I respect your position. I was just telling this officer over here, in order to for me to identify myself, I have to be cited with a, a crime according to Arizona state law. Well, we're going to give you a warning right now, so we're going to need that for a street check. So what's your last name? Okay, so the warning is a violation of the law? Well, because of the amplified sound device. Well, what I was saying to the officer was... Zach? He's right over here. Zach. Where's the other Zach? Zach number one. Morgan, he's out of state right now. Okay, I'm used to... They know me. 
and Stephen knows me. So you're going to be given a warning. You cannot use. And well, officer, you, you can't know. do that. Officer, you can't do that unless you have a calibrated meter according to the city code. Oh, we can. And you um, test it. Yeah, we can. And so you you're can violate get, this law. We have a complaint that's a citizen. A complaint of illegal activity. We have complaint of illegal activity. A disorderly yeah, conduct. Ma'am, that you, if you read the city activity. code. He's saying a complaint of a legal activity, not illegal activity. Somebody said, I don't like the thing that the guy is doing that's legal. And so that's where we're at right now. What do you think about that lady? Is that your favorite kind of cop or what, George? <laughs> you know, I think Garrett touched on it. It's, it's not the decibel level. It's the content of the message. And this ties in perfectly with the 45-page indictment against Trump. This is a war on free speech, plain and simple. Yeah, it does seem like they're First Amendment protected. Even if he's wrong, he has the right to be wrong. They're they're trying to say that he's knowingly wrong and using that knowingly wrong information. And uh, potentially, as as was argued in these uh, sort of court cases that we're talking about, uh, particularly the uh, the Bush v. Gore piece, is that the he had every right to go and ask for a political solution to a problem that he had, which is a political problem, which is to say he wanted to stay in office, even if he knew he was wrong, theoretically. Right. That, that's yeah. what the argument is. So they get us chasing the laser pointer of all the different counts in the indictment. And I had them all lined up and they're not even worth covering a lot of them because it's fiction. As you mentioned, it doesn't make a difference whether they're true or not. It doesn't matter at all. Um, Garrett, I'm going to get your reaction to this last video. If we'll pull up, uh, I think it's video number three. Um, no, it's not showing up on there. There was a YouTube video that we have. Uh, sorry, video not a YouTube, but a Twitter. Yeah. Is that what it is? There it is. Yes. Uh, video two. Thank you so much. Can you pull up video two? This is what happened just a couple days ago, folks. And this is in Wisconsin. This is uh, right in uh, Garrett's backyard. Through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Hey, hey what are you doing? What is the problem? What's wrong? You didn't give him any warning. You just grabbed the mic. Well, this is the same one that we had in here. Yeah, that was in there. It was not out here. What is wrong? They said we can have, we can, they said we can speak out here on the sidewalk freely. You can speak, but there's no amplified Nobody told us that. This is, well, how come there's no amplification? Hey, you guys are acting like thugs, man. You're acting like th straight up thugs. Hey, you're, you're, you're taking away my He has every right to be out here engaging in speech. He has every right to be out here engaging in speech. There's cars driving by with their radios playing. That's amplified sound. People are standing out here with radios. That's amplified sound. The ordinance has to do with a decibel gauge. You don't just get so to pick same, and choose which argument. amplification kind of you right like. What we're saying is now uh, police officers are now leading away. This guy, he's got to be in his early 20s. He's out there doing sort of a, a scriptural reading. I don't know what the event that he was standing outside of, but he's on the sidewalk and in, in a place that he's publicly allowed to be where they were previously told they could stand. And you've got something like seven or eight cops roll up. They all look like our tribe of people. That's to say young, uh, you know, like fit, capable people who swore allegiance to the constitution and they walk up and they immediately put the guy's hands behind his back, strip the microphone out of his hand and cuff him. There was no discussion. There was no citation. This was straight to cuffing and dragging him away. Again, the content of the message. Uh, will you give a little reflection on, I, I tweeted about uh, reserve police battalion 101, but I give you an opportunity to talk about that anytime you like Garrett. Yeah. So this video, it, it's really disturbing for me because like you said, it's, it's right in my backyard. I mean, Watertown is, is, 
30 minutes, maybe uh, two of my former colleagues live there. It's a very quaint conservative town. And for those officers in a town like that, in this once great country to show up at that event and literally arrest someone for reading from the Bible or, or preaching a message uh, that's based on the Christian faith is astonishing. And yeah, like it, it's, it's tough for me to, to deal with because like, I think of my days as a cop, like I never would have handled a situation like that. Never. And most of my colleagues, I don't think would have either some, yeah, probably, which is unfortunate. Uh, but that Sergeant, he's the one who went in there initially and strong armed that kid and grabbed the mic. And then everybody else followed suit like, Oh, yep. the Sergeant, well, he's, he's doing it. So, okay, I'm just going to slap the cuffs on and get this kid out of here. And that's that slippery slope we've talked about before. And we've talked about the Nazi argument before. Okay, then again, I've said it before on your show. Well, then the FBI needs to stop doing the Holocaust trip if, if they think that talking about Nazism is a, is a bridge too far. Because you go on that trip, so you don't repeat the mistakes of the past. And in 1932 in Germany, that's the type of thing they were doing. That's what law enforcement was doing. They were quelling speech. They were quelling dis dissenters. And they were escorting them away if they were engaging in speech that was outside of the Nazi regime and for it to be happening in a conservative town like that in, in Wisconsin, like it's happening everywhere then. And then and, when you, and where did that lead it, you at, just so people understand 1932, we're shutting down speech. We're identifying people that are problems. And by the time we get around to 1939, what's happening. And then you have Holocaust, you know, you have, you have, you have a concentration camp set up by then. So it, it's, you know, people always say, oh, that's never going to happen again because the human race has evolved. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. Our technology may have evolved, but us as people have not. Hate still exists. You know, anti-God beliefs still exist. Anti-human beliefs still exist. And oh, if you've been othered, like the Jews were and the gypsies and the communists and the gays and a, and the a list of a bunch. Yeah, a, a list of people. Everybody always thinks, oh, it's just the Jews. Like, yeah, they were a big uh, section, you know, subset of it, probably the biggest, but it wasn't just them. And we're seeing that othering happening again here. And I would venture to say that most of those cops that showed up at that call in Watertown the other day, they probably have a conservative bent, but they're doing it anyways. And yep. that is the real problem. And, and that is like where, like, I almost don't even know what to say or how to comprehend it or how to grasp it because it's so far beyond the pale for uh, what I always try to do as a law enforcement officer, both at the local level and in the FBI. So it's just difficult to take in. And then when you pair it with uh, the previous video with Jeff Durbin, how it was handled, even though the, the older cop didn't know the law and the, the, the female supervisor obviously was a real Karen, but they didn't strong arm him to get him out of there. They ended up walking away themselves. Right. With and the citation. That's what you have to do. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, just to see that video with, with that kid getting strong arm like that and cuffed and escorted out of there for engaging in first amendment protected speech. Okay. You know what, if there's a, if there's a decibel issue with his amplification device, okay, fine. Then let's deal with that and say, Hey dude, it's too loud. And you know what? I actually was flipping through Watertown's uh, Muni code book last, well, I say flipping through, like I actually had, it. I was on their website looking through, I couldn't even find um, what the decibels are supposed to be because their noise ordinance didn't even cover that. So it, it's, it's more of a reasonableness standard. So they have to take in the time of day, special events, 
you know, and I have the links. I mean, I, I'm sure people don't want to go down the rabbit hole of Watertown, Wisconsin, you know, Municode, but it, it's um, more like a, for, it's more like an example that exists. And these are in two different places around the country showing, um, you know, this, this trend and the trend is more right. towards action and, and doing what they're told. George, you live in a different part of the country as well. Could you imagine that happening in your ha town as well at this point? Uh, it probably wouldn't be as much of an exchange of dialogue. It would have been uh, handcuffs pretty quick. But look, I had a pinned tweet, um, but this has been going on for a while, starting with the defund the police movement and then the vaccine mandates. The, the left in this country has been policing the ranks of police and law and, uh, you know, the federal entities and the military of people who don't just reflexively follow orders. And this is what we've got. This is... This is by design. This is not by accident. This is not a one-off that you can come up with two videos that just took place within days of one another. Um, and then on top of everything else we're seeing, this is a plan that we see uh, starting to gel and starting to set. And, and we wind up uh, in pre-World War II Poland. 100% there. I'm going to take the last word on this, folks. When I uh, when we have these, these call-outs, it's not because we don't think that law enforcement is overwhelmingly can full of good people. What we're talking about is the so-called good men and women of the FBI, a federal law enforcement of the state and the local law enforcement. They need to police their own. It is your job. Your job is to re refuse illegal, immoral, unethical orders, if you want to call them that, or requests by supervisors. If you are a supervisor, you cannot engage in this behavior. If you see your colleagues do so, the FBI has actually created a duty to act to stop your colleagues from depriving people of their civil liberties up to and including deadly force. This is a new piece that the DOJ has introduced. I generally don't think that is a, uh, I think they had the wrong answer, but the idea that you should not be allowing your colleagues to engage in this type of behavior, it has always been there. It's never not been part of that oath. Your job is to make sure you protect civil liberties of everyone out there, including from your colleagues. It's not just your refusal to infringe on it. It has to be something that you look and you see that others are out there doing the same thing and you do not accept it. We got a bunch more things to talk about, but we'll keep doing this stuff. We'll have it on, I think we'll do it again on Friendly Friday with more. Uh, tomorrow, I'm gonna be bringing you an interview with Tiffany Justice from Moms for Liberty. The segue there is we heard a little bit of hope on Tuesday from a, from a high school age young gal who did a great job and, and kind of shared with us her generally out positive outlook, conservative perspective on America. I thought that was really wonderful, especially with uh, parents that don't necessarily agree with her. That's kind of uh, opening our eyes, give us a little bit of hope. Today is a little bit of a downer, unfortunately. Uh, tomorrow will be how you fight back a little bit. We're talking to uh, Tiffany Justice with Moms for Liberty, the things you can do locally to try to make a difference to make sure that your children are educated in the way that Americans have always been educated, that they understand things that are important. If you're not going to homeschool, then you got to fight to make sure that government schools are the thing that you want to send your kids to. If you're still sitting in that live chat, scroll down there, make sure you've given that like button, make sure that it is a green thumbs up. We're collecting those as often as we can. If you have any questions or things you want us to cover in future panels, including with Friendly Friday, when we have Steve Friend on, scroll on down past the live chat and you can go to the comment section and you can add a comment there any questions we tend to answer them during the day if we know it and if not we'll add them on to the next show we'll put it into the topic so thanks so much uh folks you've been listening to the kyle seraphin show we are streamed live from liberty hill texas every morning right now at 8 30 texas america time that's 9 30 for those of you who are on the east coast don't forget to like that video if you haven't if you're sitting and watching us on one of the other channels you can always go to rumble.com slash kyle seraphin slash live kyle seraphin will get you to our channel and you can watch our shows and join the live chat which has been bumping so far today share that link on social media as you like uh, anywhere you like it we're big on twitter and we're big on truth but if you're on other platforms please feel free to share it 
a couple of thank yous. Thanks for uh, joining us to you, uh, those of us in the live chat. And we do want to say thanks to all the five-star reviews. We're almost at 625 like this one right here. This one is coming from Green Nick is what I see. Or is that Greek Nick? It looks like Greek Nick. He says, been a suspendable since Hillary Rodham Clinton classified me as deplorable. Dot, 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 five stars. And Kyle Serafin's show speaks right to my heart. He has the actual talent and viable training. He understands what content will impact his listening audience and has the reach to put on guests whose personal experiences are sure to deeply affect how you understand the irrationality and silliness of our modern age. God bless you, Ryan, and the fellow suspendables, including our guests who are very thankful for George Hill, congressional whistleblower and intelligence uh, analyst retired from the FBI, and Garrett O'Boyle, another two of my heroes that are out there in the world that are pushing the envelope and making sure that you guys have access to information from reputable sources. So gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me today. Again, we'll also say thanks to Ryan Matta, the very skilled and talented, who's been queuing up all of our videos and making sure this thing runs smoothly despite some of our little technical glitches. Follow Ryan at Ryan Matta Media, M-A-T-T-A Media, Ryan Matta Media on Twitter, or you can follow him at Ryan Matta on True Social. We're there. Uh, folks, our opening theme was composed by my talented brother, Casey Serafin. I'm sure you all heard it. Please consider uh, subscribing to the podcast anywhere you get it, share it anywhere else you like. Gentlemen, do you want to throw out your social media handles real quick and people can follow you as well? Garrett first. GOB Actual, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Truth. And then uh, lastline.substack.com. Are you letting people into the last line yet? Uh, Not quite. Not quite. (laughs) So... Hopefully we'll have some some developing news on that front. I've had uh, some interesting um, developments with on the attorney front. So okay, good enough. Uh, I'll, I'll come we'll, back we'll and you talk back about on. that soon. Yeah, yeah, you got it, my friend. Uh, George, where can people follow you? Senior Chief S E N I O R Chief C H I E F E X W all one word at Twitter. Got it. Senior Chief EXW on Twitter. Folks, follow my friends there and you will have a enlightened perspective on the, the daily events. We're all pretty active in the social media space these days. And we will see you again tomorrow with an interview with uh, Tiffany Justice. Thanks so much for joining us for The Kyle Serafin Show. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, True Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.